0: This is the Aftermarket Radio Network.
1: Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Bonslow, and today I have the one and only someone who needs no introduction except for maybe 90% of the profession, Tanner Brandt. Tanner is the owner of Auto Diag Clinic. He is a, I mean, he's a lot of stuff, to be honest. He's a trainer, instructor, presenter, a course developer. He's a consultant. I heard he's a heck of a gardener. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a party animal. Not really. Uh, all around good guy. I mean, he's not as nice as Bryn, but who is?
0: There's nobody nicer than Bryn. That is for sure.
1: Ah, you're close. You you probably got him.
0: It's like my brother. Well, he's got me by
1: height, so. And everyone that knows you will fill in the blank on that. <laughs> <laughs> Tanner, you need a excuse to maybe disappear to uh, Las Vegas. Of course. If not, I I got one for you. Tell me more. I will. The Napa Expo will be held July 18th through the 21st at the Venetian and Convention and Expo Center in Las Vegas. Stay at the forefront of the latest technologies and industry trends. Registration opens April 2022, so it's already open. Not enrolled, but interested in attending? Contact your servicing Napa store for more information.
0: Man, I would love to go to Vegas, especially for a trade show.
1: Tracy told me there's a band and some country singer. That's going to be the, there.
0: That's all I need to know. I'm in. You have a band at a automotive convention? Yep. The, the last time we had a band at an automotive convention was at Chicago, and it was in a museum, and that was a great party,
1: so I'm in. I know I know who the band is. It's Brian Collada's favorite. Oh. <laughs> Goo Goo Dolls. Perfect. I shouldn't say who the country singer is because I really – I think it's Luke Bryan, but I don't know. She's going to tell me how the concert is. So anyways, Tanner's on here because him and I were talking and uh, we're kind of rattling off some of our favorite diagnostic tools. Our most powerful pieces of diagnostic equipment. And you would think he's on here to talk about scan tools and scopes and meters and any number of really neat pieces of equipment. But honestly, we both arrived at one of the, the most key weapons in our uh, arsenals, our diagnostic arsenals is none other than a really good flashlight. He brought his flashlight with, he has the lights off and he has it under his chin. Like he's going to start talking, telling us a cool story.
0: Is that ultraviolet? (laughs) (laughs) It looks that way. That's a coast light. That's Your why. skin's burning. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is like a torch. It's so bright.
1: That's what they call them, I think, in England, or torches.
0: There you go. But without a good flashlight, I don't think you can do a good visual inspection.
1: I, I can't.
0: No. And, and I think that's where Matt and I were going with this topic. As we were talking about, Matt brought up flashlights, and I immediately knew where he was going with this about visual inspections
1: I didn't always think that way. I, got a, I was thinking about it today a little bit. Michelle Nguyen worked for Lender Technical Services, and she was, she was the guru. She was the diagnostic um, tech there, not only for Lender Technical Services, but for surrounding shops. They would bring her the tough vehicles. Periodically, she would uh, kind of go shadow or help out at shops, work at other shops, just to get more. I was talking to her one time, and she was just telling me, like, you know, I, I fixed a lot of cars that week at so-and-so's shop with my, flat. or I shouldn't say fixed them, but uh, I diagnosed a lot of cars, a lot of vehicles that week with my flashlight. I was kind of thinking about that, like, Yeah, yeah. Ever since, and this is years and years ago that she said that. So flashlights are way better nowadays than they were then. (laughs) Back then, they probably had like C and D batteries in them. Now, I primarily have like streamlights. I think all of them are streamlights. Even my Men in Black style lights. Yeah. You know, they try to erase people's memories. with it doesn't work. <laughs> I,
0: I like folding lights that have a magnet on the bottom. I have two snap-on ones of all things, but kind of like the one that's Harbor Freight style. That was, as long as they fold and have a magnet on them, I'm good with them. And then this one that I carry typically in my kind of pocket that stays in normally in my work uniform.
1: Got a few of those. And And as we were talking, I was just kind of telling you about some of the vehicles I've run into lately. It's not begging on other shops, but the the examples I have was giving Tanner were vehicles that were at other shops and had got had components replaced uh, repairs attempted and that did not take and I found the issues with the flashlight so I think that that's not to beg on the other shops as much as that may be hard to sell you on it's more about get your flashlight out, get your light out, take a few moments and look over, you could say the vehicle, but at least kind of the systems involved or components involved in the system you're trying to analyze.
0: So I was telling my wife that I was going to do this right before I came in my office and she came up with something brilliant. She said, you should be looking over a vehicle the way that your wife looks over something when you call her and say, I can't find something. And she walks up behind you and immediately points it out. So you want to be the wife in this scenario, and not and not be the one that misses something directly in front of you. And I'm like, she said to me, and I'm like, that's genius. That's <laughs> really good because I'm awful
1: about that. Me too. All the time. It, it turns out I know where stuff is more by memory than sight. Yeah. If I put something away, and it doesn't even mean away. If I just lay something somewhere, I know where it is. I'll find it. Yeah. If somebody moves it, like even a foot away from that spot, it's almost like effort has to be put into <laughs> finding it now. Yeah. It's borderline ridiculous. Kind of like I maybe maybe I need a cat scan. I don't know.
0: But the same thing goes on with cars. I mean, look at. You know, somebody puts a transmission in. We'll say because this is, I think, one of the more common ones. Puts a transmission in, car ran before they put it in. They put put it in now. It doesn't run, or nothing turns on, or they have circuit codes for something, and they immediately just go down the rabbit hole of like diagnosing every single thing instead of looking at the harness that goes over the bell housing. Just such a good example of you know the little bit of effort that goes into what did you do last? So when we're looking for something that we lost and we try to trace our steps, you know, anytime I look for something that I lost and I'm like, okay, what did I do with it? You know, I'm not great about backtracing my steps, but eventually I'll get to that point and I'm like, okay, what did I do? What like From the last time I had it, what did I do during the day, during whenever and eventually you go back through your steps and you find whatever it is you're looking for well same thing when you're working on a vehicle what did you have a part or what did sometimes maybe you don't won't know what the uh car had a part on it but if you can get the history of it i like to use carfax and a lot of times i'll look up a carfax and then once i know a history of the vehicle was it hitting the left front well, if it was hitting the left front, guess what? I'm just going to go look at it. I'm going to take the inner fender out, I'm going to take a peek down in behind there and see what I can find. And most of the time, doing stuff like that, it's a little bit of, uh, I guess I would say, work on the front end and then a visual inspection. A lot of times you can find it. Yeah, that's
1: a really good idea because I'm pretty sure I've heard you say that before. Not, ju- not just in general conversation or... Sitting in the lobby, the hotel lobby at Vision or something like that. I think you said it in the Wrenchway uh, episode we were on. Yeah, that that's kind of one of your diagnostic steps, and it's a really, it's a really good one. It's a really smart.
0: I've gotten to the point; it really, I've done it like for years. This year got to where I started like I'll buy Carfaxes in bulk. Somebody wants to. Like help me i don't know. i can't find out how to get like a yearly thing to carfax i think it exists but if you go on there and look you can only buy it in like six at a time or something so i don't really know how to do it bulk at any rate that's what i do um and i started doing it because this year with how bad the used car market got all these cars were showing up with just like weird things that didn't make sense a lot of it like a logic problem because it had an incorrect module in and i had one with a um uh, stability track light that kept coming on that ended up having the wrong cluster, but I didn't know what was wrong with it. I knew it I got to the point that I'm like, the cluster's bad, but I have no idea why it's bad. So nothing's wrong with it. It just constantly had a stability track light on until I went to the Carfax and realized that it had been flagged for incorrect mileage and as soon as i saw that i'm like ah, oh, it's definitely got the wrong cluster <laughs> so it was like the light bulb moment and then it was just a matter of you know another kind of visual inspection of does the mileage match what's on carfax and the answer to that was no and then does the part number match what's supposed to be in it and the answer to that was no and does the file match what's supposed to be in it and that was also no <laughs>
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Earlier you mentioned uh, transmission because that was one of my examples was a Ram pickup had a new transmission installed. And my understanding was no shifting. They drove it to us. So, you know, obviously they drove it in uh, presumably second, maybe third gear, whatever default is or limp in really a boatload of codes concerning solenoids. And maybe this is in defense of the other shop. I don't I don't know. I have a rough time with it being a total defense. Turns out there was kind of a star case bulletin that hinted towards issues where the harness comes over the top of the frame. So on the driver's side frame rail, the harness loops over and then goes to the transmission and they rub. And you didn't need the star case bulletin to see with a flashlight the that corrosion. Yep the copper that the green copper corrosion kind of running down. I'm not, I don't want to make it sound like um, liquid for those that don't deal with a lot of corrosion, that this is kind of a streaks. Yeah. 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 Powdery streaks where, you know, when there was water of some sort or moisture that it would run down, you could see the coppery streaks from where it ran over the top. And then of course you loosen up a couple of, um, Clips and lift it up, and then you can really see, you know, not just one or two wires, but like eight, right? Partially rubbed through green, uh, almost fuzz, really, uh, growing out of them. Uh, so yeah, I disconnect the transmission, uh, connector and pull it all out, and then it's easy to work on. It's, you know, in the wide open, uh, some wiring repairs, and now the thing shifts as you would expect. Do I suspect it needed a transmission? It's hard to say it needed one, but I wasn't there. Maybe it absolutely needed one. And clients, unfortunately, don't always shoot
0: straight either. Yeah. So Transmissions are one of those things that I see a lot that gets misdiagnosed. And I would say nine out of ten times a visual inspection would fix it. Like the corrosion you're talking about. That obviously had solenoid codes in it, so yep. your first thing should be the PCM is at play, and the transmission on that one. There's probably, I don't think there's no TCM in that one, correct? I don't think. Well, I guess, no,
1: not in. Yeah,
0: yeah. So P, TCM, is into, uh, TCM is built into PCM is built into PCM on that. Yes, and so you have PCM harness and transmission. So you know a visual inspection of the harness down to the transmission. Um, Visual inspection of the PCM plugs and visual inspection of the transmission plug. And I can't tell you how many times I get intermittent transmission concerns and or I guess intermittent transmission concerns or reference voltage like concerns or um, sometimes to communication concern stuff with a transmission assembly and you just unplug the transmission connector and it's full of fluid and you're like, oh, yeah. Like you literally pull it and the fluid just runs out of it. And the shop's like, oh, and you go, There's a transmission harness and a power train control module or a TCM at play. Like visual inspection of all of those parts. Now obviously we talk about, you know, you try to if it's intermittent, you try to not manipulate stuff is you know little as possible but most of the time if you take and you shine your flashlight on the transmission connector if it's got fluid in there you're gonna know it's wet and at that point if it's wet i'm disconnecting it and taking it apart
1: yeah and I, i'm glad he said that and kind of brought that up not so much the fluid and the connectors which is still uh a really good test on virtually anything right coolant sensors Yep. is are coolant and um you know, and we don't see it so much anymore, but it, it's hard not to remember the uh GM Vortex pushing uh fuel up through the harness into and filling up the uh, engine control module with gasoline. Yeah, yeah. Um that's that's going back a ways.
0: But even Chrysler yeah. doing but that the same now concept. With, yeah, and, and now Chrysler doing it with coolant and GM doing it with coolant on yep, the yep. cruises. I can't tell you how many cruise PCMs I get a call and they're like yeah, we got to put a PCM in it. And I go, why? And they go, well, keep smelting the coil. And I'm like, uh, that's going to have coolant in the connector and the connector's going to be corroded. <laughs> and it's yeah. a matter of, now granted, sometimes they can't see it and you got to take the front off the connector. But again, that that one little step of looking a little bit further, you're looking at, the, you're looking at your coffee table, looking for something and it's on the floor underneath it. So that's kind of, they were there. They had the connector off. They looked at the connector but they didn't pop the cover.
1: Hey guys, Matt here talking to you about what the NAPA Auto Care Center program can do for your business. You probably already know the NAPA brand is the most recognized and trusted name in the automotive aftermarket industry. In fact, studies show nearly 95% of customers recognize NAPA and associate it with quality parts, service, and technical expertise. So why not complete a pro image upgrade and take advantage of that pro image is a co-branding program for the exterior and interior of your shop on the outside it includes the napa colors and distinctive napa signage while the public may know you as a reliable locally owned business a pro image upgrade helps set your shop apart from the competition even further it is also a visual signal to your customers and potential customers that you and napa are partners most importantly pro image really works. This co-branding opportunity has helped Napa Auto Care Centers across the country increase their car counts and sales. In fact, those that have completed the Pro Image project enjoy an average of 23% sales increase during their first year. Pro Image upgrades are also available for the interior of your shop. A Pro Image interior upgrade transforms your customer waiting area from merely utilitarian to warm and welcoming. The goal is to maintain your shop's independent identity while enhancing the customer's experience. You can get a free look at what a Pro Image exterior or interior upgrade can look like by visiting the Napa AutoCare member site and clicking on the Napa Pro Image link under the Napa Pro Image tab, or contact your local Napa Auto Parts store. Your servicing Napa store can tell you more about Pro Image plus the hundreds of other reasons to become part of the Napa AutoCare family, the largest network of independent auto repair shops in the country. We didn't work on this vehicle, but uh, a fellow shop called me about it. And it's not, I don't want to sound like I'm picking on Chrysler at all. It just so happens that he thought, legitimately thought that the PCM was full of uh, brake fluid. He's like, how in the world would brake fluid get in there? Like, this has been happening for a while. Oh, yeah. Is it low on brake fluid? No. I'm like, which connector or you know what like is one of the connectors wet and he's like yeah I'm like which one and it turns out it luck, lucky luckily for me I think there was not much going to that connector but one thing was the power steering pressure switch yeah <laughs> so when he unplugged that bad boy um wow did that have that had a lot of fluid in it <laughs> Uh, and I think it' shot it out pretty good, yeah, I mean, this isn't so much flashlight stuff, but it, inspections. but where I was going, what I liked what you brought up there is on intermittence and even if even if they're not necessarily uh intermittent, the flashlight comes into play in that you don't really want to start manipulating things. I think a lot of times uh when we have like circuit issues and whatnot, and maybe we check a component, scope it whatever we don't like the signal maybe something gets replaced, doesn't fix it. Uh, we we kind of catch ourselves wanting to and then actually grabbing the wire harness and pulling on it. Uh, especially, I was thinking of like um, for uh, fuse shorts, like popping fuses or yep. uh, tanking tanking something to ground that you, you kind of want, the, you know, the desire is to start grabbing the harness and just yanking on it. Mm-hmm. And that's really a big no no. Try not to do that. Try to use your flashlight and just trace the harnesses. And if you, again, a lot of stuff depends so much on uh, car lines and what your service from information source is. And it's not a campaign for to go get this or go get that. It's just the way it is. Sometimes they show you harness routings. Yeah. Or you can kind of figure out harness routings by where's connector, you know, this. You know, it goes through C102, then it goes through C104, and then it goes through, you know, wherever to the component. Okay, I know where these connectors are. I have a feeling I know where the harness goes. Okay, good. Now, grab the flashlight and start tracing. Where is this harness going? What is it laying on? What does it bend around? And that's where the focus of your attention should be. Right. I think a lot of people get burned by that because... You start grabbing stuff, you temporarily fix it. And temporarily could be six months, a year. Yeah. And never, never see it again. I don't know what I did to fix it, but. Yeah, it's gone now. Must be in that harness somewhere.
0: Yeah. People don't think about that literally the thickness of a razor blade, slicing it and touching it to ground will make that short. And if you move it away from that, it may never touch that spot again or it will two yep. years from now. And all of a sudden it starts all over again. One thing somebody had told me once they did with harnesses, which I've never really tried it, I guess, but someone was telling me they use a um, blow gun. So they just take shop air and blow, like we'll trace a harness with shop air and blow on it. And I'm like, that's interesting. I never really, I guess, thought about that. yeah I'd have to try that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've used water like yeah, spray a bottle with water. Yeah. Let's see if it yeah acts up at all.
1: Yeah. Or soapy water or tire leak stuff to get. So it's a little tacky. Yep. I might have to try that. That's kind of cool. Yeah.
0: I, I like I said, I haven't tried it. They, some people have told me that and they're like, instead of, you know, moving the harness, obviously trying to do as little bit of movement on the harness as possible. They're basically just blowing shop air around it. So that the harness kind of moves a little bit. And see if it acts up again uh, but i at the same time i guess i'm looking at it as if you're following a harness with shop air or blowing chopper down side a harness if you can get air on it you can probably look at it too but yeah so <laughs> it's an interesting thought again i haven't tried it personally yeah i like it i'm gonna put that to the test um but thinking about visual inspection you talked about you know where harnesses move and stuff this is something i used to do uh, when i was doing the project at the BMW plant here doing electrical diagnostics there. Uh, the new BMW stuff, I'm not a BMW technician by any means, so I can only go off of the few that I've worked on. Um, and that being when I was at the plant, the new uh, G05 and G07 series at the time, this was, I don't know, four years ago now. So at any rate, those have trays in them where the harnesses are. And when they would get pinched in the factory when they were getting assembled, you didn't want to take apart the entire car to try to find a pinch. Sometimes you would just simply check continuity to ground or something on a wire on a circuit that you, you know, knew you had a fault for and you'd see that that circuit was pinched, but I didn't want to take apart the entire car cuz it's all new panels. So I have uh, a four-way articulating borescope and I would slide the borescope down inside the tray and then I would trace the tray with the borescope. And I could follow the tray until I saw basically where I couldn't get the camera through anymore because the tray was pinched or something got into the tray or something happened with the harness. And you'd get to a spot in there and you'd be like, all right, mark the borescope, pull the borescope back out, figure out how far down in there you were. And then all you had to do was go, you know, you knew where the harness ran. So you just go and pull that one panel off and Boom, right there it was. You know, somebody pushed a panel in or something and crushed a tray or got it with, you know, a metal screw or something, went through the wrong spot. And, but, so yeah, another visual inspection of following bends of the harnesses.
1: I thought about bringing up more borescope stuff, but just felt like that was a little tangent.
0: I count that as a visual inspection. They absolutely are. I've gotten to the point, I mean, obviously for me, I have a bunch of them because I, help Oasis because they're here locally with me, but I've gotten to the point when, so obviously pressure transducers is a thing and, you know, has been a thing forever, but I've gotten to the point now I tell people this all the time. Most of the time, if I'm going to pull out a pressure transducer and go in cylinder, so I'm not talking about doing like a intake waveform, but I'm actually going to go in cylinder with a pressure transducer. If I have a spark plug out of it, I'm going to put a borescope in it first because there's so many pressure transducer captures that I have that we've all looked at and had like our group of friends look at it. And we're all like, that's a leak in the cylinder. And we're all like, okay, we know that is it a, you know, like something weird where either there's a hole in a piston or there's a, you know, chipped valve or a broken ring. And we're like, we know there's a leak in the cylinder, but there's nothing wrong with valve events or something. And then you're like, at the end, you're still then looking at, it. and I can't tell you how many times that has happened in our groups. And I like call the person. I'm just like, hey, I'm gonna send you a borescope, and you can look at it. I did this. Mike Bracolo had one. Uh, we went round and round for like four days. Everybody looked at his capture, and we all it had low compression. Valve events were perfectly fine. One cylinder was misfiring, and it was just slightly low. And it was on a four five four. And I think at the end Brandon looked at it. And Brandon's like, it's definitely just a leak in the cylinder. Something's wrong. It's got a hole in the piston, hole in the valve. And I called Mike. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna send you a borescope. So I sent him a borescope, and I overnighted it to him. And the next day I got a picture of a valve with a big chunk missing. <laughs> I'm like, nice. And not to you know downplay the use of a pressure transducer, but like that literally was a four day ordeal of looking at stuff. And we knew from the first capture that. It, you know obviously something was wrong with the cylinder but didn't know what and had the borescope gone in at first that would have been solved then you know 4 days prior so that's i guess my thing i i look in at cylinder if i pull a spark plug out i'm going in it with a borescope
1: i i would agree with that i think i do that as well the pressure transducer is one of the towards the bottom of things i use um depending on situation yeah. again what am i looking for Yep. Um, but if I have a situation with like low compression, I don't know if I'm, the pressure transducer kind of falls towards the uh, bottom of my choices of uh, uh, tools. The, definitely a bore scope, looking around inside, uh, cylinder leakage, of course, the old old way yep. uh, is, is a good way. But l- like you said, rarely do I have to bust out the cylinder leakage tester when I have a bore scope, especially one that's either articulating or... I suppose a mirror, Uh, some of them now are uh, dual. Like uh, I tested one for um, Calvan and it's Wi-Fi Yep. and it's got basically two cameras in one. So it's got the one straight ahead, like out the end and then it has a 90 degree one. So you can just switch it on your phone. So you Wi-Fi your phone to the forescope and then you have, you could look out the side and it's, it works out really well for checking out uh, valves. Yeah. Just like the um, Vividia stuff that I have. Yeah. Uh, or waste the scientific stuff that's articulating. I mean, that is that is the greatest thing. Yeah. That is the greatest thing ever to be able to snake that down and kind of whip it around and look and maybe rotate the engine a little bit. Maybe take the borescope out when you do that. Um, just to get the, the valves to move a little bit to get a better look at different... Um, fell things, but yeah, uh, I, this is going back a ways maybe a couple uh, maybe three, four years ago that uh, it's one of those where <laughs> it's, it's kind of bittersweet if you will. A lady purchased, a, it was used, but purchased a Mercedes-Benz and she heard that we were the uh, import Euro shop uh, around and she wanted an oil change and when we, they gave her the estimate on the oil change she fainted. So after we brought her back, just just kidding, but she was taken aback, decided that our oil changes were way too expensive when the quick lube would do that for a fraction. And, you know, you're trying to walk this tightrope of, I want to professionally, legitimately professionally caution you about that, but I don't want it to be a scare tactic. Right. I'm not trying to scare you. Take a few moments, research it. You, you may find that if it's the price is too good to be true, it probably is right. too good to be true. A few years later, she uh, stops by. She needs, uh, wants us to look at her vehicle. Uh, it is going through, boy, I think it was like a quart of oil a week and borescope down the cylinders. And it was like, four out of six of them the scoring is unbelievable the scoring cylinder scoring uh this was uh using the oasis scientific one that um you do on i was using uh the virus at the time i was using the virus pro not that that matters but it's windows yeah windows based and using the software i could screenshot that's what was nice about it yeah screenshot it then I could dump it over to our computer and email it and stuff like that. But okay. It was diagnosed visual inspection and we warned you. Right. It was too good to be true. Most likely they were using the incorrect oil. And I don't know how incorrect it was. Like I have no idea. Right. I'm guessing maybe not even synthetic. I don't know, but I'm guessing she was driving uh, at least 10,000 miles or more on those oil changes. Yeah. And, uh, we, we put an engine in it. Right. That was a lot of our oil changes to add up to uh, <laughs> an, engine. Uh, an engine.
0: Yeah, that is for sure. And that's, you know, par for the course of the, you know, cheap minded individual, I guess. And, you know, that's something I bring up oil changes in the turbo class. That's, you know, I have a case study in the turbo class where a turbo failed due to incorrect oil. Because the car had had non dexos oil its entire life and was extended oil change, and that one got diagnosed with the borescope too. Stuck the borescope down inside it when it started and realized that the turbo didn't spin anymore. And that's the borescope thing is something I talk about a lot in the turbo class because people go, you know, well, I think maybe it's the turbo and it's not making boost. And I'm like, okay, does the turbo spin? And they're like, well. I I guess i don't know i, I didn't of course know, it's yeah <laughs> i didn't look at it i can't see it like on the eco boost and stuff and i'm like well just stick a borescope down in it to where you can see it and start it if it doesn't spin when it starts then the turbo's not working it should spin when it starts and most of the time i get a call back and they're like yeah you're right it doesn't spin or sometimes you know i kind of have it in my head i'm like this doesn't really sound like a turbo and they call me back and they're like yeah it spins fine and you know it seems really smooth you, Start it up, it spins. You turn it off, it spins for a little while longer and spools down. I'm like, all right, dot the turbo. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you can have a wastegate or something like that that's still broken. But most part, when they think they have a failed turbo or something like that, that's a pretty easy, quick test.
1: Yeah, I guess we're gonna have to do part two on borescopes because now my brain is exploding with examples of using the borescope to find stuff. Yeah, or verify. Yeah. A lot of times it's nice to just verify a suspicion. Yep. Uh, I had another flashlight diagnosis, if you will, uh fairly recently. This vehicle got uh a new AC compressor and dryer and relay. And I think they gave him a quote on an evaporator. The complaint was no cooling. Minnesota this year. We've had maybe four days that were warm enough to warrant turning the AC on. Actually, not common. Normally, by now, normally by now, our bays would be flooded with cars getting AC. We would be, you know, which I know for some people, the 80s is not that hot, but to us, 80s, low 90s, it's brutal. We got some humidity. We've only had a few days of that. I, I hooked up my gauges. And really I hook up the AC machine because one of my first things I do is I do I look at pressures obviously yep. and then I like to pull out the Freon yep. or refrigerant, weigh it, put it back in. You know, how how low is it? Yep, yep. And with really, really low charge volumes now. It seems like a good step for me. Yep. And uh I didn't have to in this case. The the gauges, the fan, the cooling fan is on radiator fan is on full blast and my high side pressure was jeepers 450 i mean about ready to explode yep. and um you know kind of what i was looking for was the uh, the frosty line yep thinking i had a restriction uh, but i i didn't see that that would have been cool and i was kind of thinking about going to get my thermal imager which is going to be part three Tanner and I will talk about thermal imagers. <laughs> you know, I, was, I couldn't find any uh, of the frosty stuff. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, looking at... Uh, this is important, probably not talked about nearly enough, is where is where is the port located? You know what I mean? Where is the high yep. side port located in, in, or low side in reference to other uh, components? Yep. So I'm like, you know, I'm thinking my restriction is actually the uh, condenser Um, but before calling the condenser and if I would have called it I would have got it it would have fixed the car but the flashlight in hand start looking and Minnesota we have a lot of deciduous trees which is not coniferous which is coniferous are the trees with needles deciduous typically are the ones with leaves and a very common tree around us is cottonwood and they have their means of spreading their seeds as, are kind of fluff balls, yep. and uh, they get trapped in condensers and radiators, uh, along with, I suppose, you know, when if stuff gets wet and whatever, pollen and dirt and muck and you know road grime, whatever. But in this case, it uh, cottonwood fluff, and I was using my flashlight, and I could see that this thing was restricted. I couldn't see through the fins at all. Right. And then the garden hose is what really <laughs> A fixed it and B hammered home the diagnosis cuz the pile of crap on the floor under the condenser radiator was unbelievable. And this is not like a Honda Civic. Right. Yeah, it wasn't a pickup or anything. A Honda freaking Civic. That little condenser and once the water started, which, okay, I'm hitting it with cold water. Duh, the the pressure is going to drop Yep. still. But once it got, yeah. I mean, once I had this big pile of muck on the floor, um, I sent a photo of it to uh, Dan Baumhart because there was a, uh, we we're in a workshop and talking about some stuff and like that related to that restriction stuff. Yep. So i sent him a photo, like here it is live. This is the real deal. The pressure never climbed back up above I think, well, on that day, like 150, because it was, geez, I don't know, (laughs) mid-60s that day. Right. So on a mid-60s day,
0: that thing was spiking 450. Right. But it had new
1: parts in it.
0: The visual inspections of AC components, visual and temperature with your hand, like so much stuff with AC systems can be diagnosed through that. Plugged condensers, plugged radiators and stuff like that. It's something that's really not talked about a lot, I guess I would say in our industry, in the heavy duty industry, that's like super common. When I worked at a tow truck shop, we used to see plugged radiators all the time in big trucks that they would either obviously overheat or then the condenser would be plugged too and then they wouldn't cool. Man, you'd stick like the hose in it, and just like you said, so much junk would come out of it. It was the same thing. You'd roll the hood on it, just quick go up and shine a flashlight in there. Can I see through it? Nope. All right. Well, it needs to be flushed out. And that was kinda as far as you yeah. went with it.
1: Yeah. Tractors. I remember that was a big thing. Yep.
0: And back to our like visual thing. Have you ever seen the uh, visual inspection tool that Nissan sells for refrigerant? This is going, I guess, a little bit deeper than a flashlight called a visual inspection diagnostic tool. You hook it up to the valves and it pulls refrigerant out. out. I'll show you one. I may have to uh, ping Michael Ingridson for you and have him try to get you one. Uh, You hook it up to the ports and you pull refrigerant out of it. And then you can actually look at the refrigerant through the sight glass. And I had one that it was a Forgescape and I never work on vehicles at my house anymore because I support only repair shops and collision shops, but it was a guy's car that I mountain bike with. And it went to every one of my shops in the area and had a complete, what they were called, the AC kit, the condenser and compressor and receiver dryer, everything been changed on this thing three different times at the same shop. And they even changed the evaporator in the end and they couldn't get it to cool. And, I just thought it sounded kind of weird and I kept putting it off, putting it off and I was hoping that they would call me and they didn't end up calling. And finally I told them just bring it over to the house and we'll pull it down. I still have all the stuff here from when I had my shop. So I still have an AC machine and stuff. So we quick sucked it down and refrigerant that was in it was fine, but I'm like, Oh, this is kind of weird. So I just sucked it down and blew it back in real fast. Same thing. Like you were saying, I want to know what's in it. So I get to a point I'm like, pressures are okay they seemed a little bit low but not too bad everything was working as it should and then the longer that the ac ran basically it would be like cool for a split second and then it would just kind of heat soak more or less and it would always be warm after that i was honestly stumped and uh i called michael about it and michael's like let me get you a uh, visual inspection tool. So he sends me a visual inspection tool. Michael works is the global trainer for Nissans. So I called him and I'm like, I'm stumped. I don't know what's going on. Everything seems fine. Pressure, everything comes on. You can see the pressures change. So he sends me the visual inspection tool. I pull a sample of refrigerant out of it into this sight glass tool. And it's just pure oil, like a hundred percent oil. I'm like, huh so then i of course suck it down and i open the oil drain valve and i got like 16 ounces of oil out of it i'm like oh so i fill it up i run it again and i drain it back down and i drain the oil out of it again i get like 10 ounces of oil (laughs) and i'm like okay so this thing just has a ton of oil in it so i did this over and over and over again until i got like one or two ounces of oil on it and then i just put it back together and filled it back up with no oil in it and it was fixed and the only thing i can come up with is what i think happened is every single time they put a kit in it they just kept with one of the handguns pumping oil into it not thinking about that each compressor they put in it already had oil in it so i didn't put any oil back in it. and of course my buddy who struck he's not a mechanic he's like should we put some oil back in? I'm like, the whole system is saturated at this point. So I text Michael and I let him know what I found. And he's like, just so you know, like the condenser, obviously he's sending me pictures of the little tiny, like micro openings in the condenser. He's like, that thing is, Gonna be saturated. Like it will probably never actually, you know, function correctly. It's gonna have to continuously have oil pulled out of it, and the evaporator really needs to be changed, and the receiver dryer at this point really needs to be changed. And at this point, we've sucked so much oil out of it that we truthfully don't know what's left in the compressor. But I told him, I'm like, we're just gonna leave it. We're gonna see how long it lasts. And. The AC worked for quite a while after that, and he actually traded it. I saw him. He just came out of um, his house, I'll call it, or out of his shell. He's a fairweather mountain biker, so uh, he disappears in the winter time. <laughs> and so I saw him two weeks ago, and he had a brand-new RAV4 Prime. And I'm like, where's the escape? And he's like, I didn't want to deal with it anymore. It was still working, though, but he traded it and got a RAV4 Prime. But yeah, the visual inspection tool, without it, I'd have been stumped. So, two
1: questions. One, is fair weather mountain biker better or worse than a flat ground mountain biker? Because um, I'm, I'm a flat ground mountain biker. I don't have a problem with a flat ground Oh, biker. that might skew the answer. Right. <laughs> no, you're, no, you're good. Um, you don't have to answer that question, no, especially not. I,
0: I, I, would, I would say a flat... <laughs> you can text me it. I, I think, I don't know, I guess. So I don't blame him about being a fair weather mountain biker because we do live, even though I'm in South Carolina, I live uh, like on the border. And like for reference of how close I am now, uh, I just bought a property in Tryon, North Carolina. It's only about 15 miles from my, where I live currently. Um, well, technically, the property's in Landrum, but there's my property and my neighbor's property in the North Carolina borders in my neighbor's backyard. So I'm very close to the border. So at any rate,
1: this is, this isn't my second question, but you live in South Carolina, you know, uh, Justin Morgan, I could introduce you.
0: (laughs) I was real hopeful that Justin would be here. Justin and I, honestly, (laughs) Uh, this afternoon we're dodging tornadoes. So Justin lives real close to me. And Yep. We didn't have tornadoes until I moved here. So I kind of feel like it's my fault. But yeah, we, Justin and I are, are always messaging each other about tornadoes lately. And for the past two days, we've literally had tornado warnings. And I get them first. The storms move from uh, west to east. So they head towards him and I get them first. And I'm like, hey, just so you know. And so then we check on each other each morning after a tornado heads warning. <laughs> but, uh,
1: or heads down, depending, yeah, depending on
0: how bad yeah. it is. But so at any rate, where I was going with this real quick is that the mountains get cold, so I don't really blame people for not wanting to ride. in the winter.
1: And then the real second question is, does Tim Maezzi have this inspection tool yet?
0: That's a good question. I
1: actually talked
0: with Tim last night
1: about AC stuff.
0: That's just going to... Because if he doesn't have one, I need I need yeah. it. Yeah. He was talking about... <laughs> him and I were talking about... Um, refrigerant identifiers and that's i'm going to kind of classify that as another uh visual inspection thing i mean you're quick checking it and just looking at the machine what does it say uh we were talking about it because It was on the ASOC group a parts store person showed up at a shop and was trying to peddle a replacement r134a or a replacement for r134a because pricing is so high which we know that is obviously illegal per the epa but i was messaging tim and i'm like if there's gonna be parts stores peddling this suddenly because all of a sudden r134a is super expensive we may all of a sudden see a rash of incorrect refrigerants and obviously have contamination problems. So he was saying at this point, you know, everybody should have a refrigerant identifier. And if you don't, that you should get one because this could potentially be an issue. Uh, but I don't know if he has the uh, sight glass tool or not, but I can send you a picture of it after we get off. Yeah,
1: you got to find out. I'll message him. <laughs> I kind of want one anyways. It sounds cool.
0: It was without it. I wouldn't have diagnosed like we were at a point where we knew that there were something was wrong with the refrigerant. Like either it was contaminated or had too much oil or something, something was wrong and it wouldn't allow it to cool. But being able to see when I sucked it out, that it was literally like all oil definitely made. I mean, it's such just another weird thing, I guess of it's a visual inspection thing. The pressures go out the window, everything goes out the window and you just, sucks the refrigerant into it, and then when you're done, you close one side, open the other side, and it sucks it back in, and it's empty, and away you go.
1: So another example of flashlight inspection is a couple of vehicles. One was electronic throttle control. The other wasn't. And maybe in a super well-lit shop, you could see pretty easy, but both of them, very, very poor idle complaints uh, or one of them. The, the non electronic throttle control oh, vehicle, which wasn't, it wasn't really that old. You know, it was cheaper as like 2008 or something, which I suppose is really old nowadays, but stalls at stop signs uh, intermittently. Both of them, the throttle plates, horrifically, horrifically contaminated. I mean, just gooey black, yeah. even to the point of almost carbon on the one. You know, geez, pop the snorkel off or bellows, whatever you want to call it. Take a look in the, uh, you know, at the throttle body, at throttle plates, both sides, uh, the front easy side and then the back side. Both of them were repaired with a a good throttle body cleaning or throttle plate cleaning. And then another example, I hate to go to the kind of a similar component, uh, but this was a overheating issue that got a new water pump. Uh, Yeah, new water pump and and belt and whatever to fix overheating. Thermostat, which if it was overheating, it needed anyways, did not fix the overheating complaint. And this is the one I sent you a photo of that the um, fan was on full blast and it could not get rid of heat. Again, it was at our shop A uh, because the other shop put a water pump in it, failed to fix it. They insinuated... It probably needed a head gasket, so it was sent to me to test for the head gasket because uh, I think a lot of people have kind of lost confidence in the blue juice yep. exhaust gas analyzer uh, I don't know if that quite counts as a visual <laughs> inspection <laughs> <It does>. but <laughs> uh sniff the for hydrocarbons or c o two or c o So that right there, that's that's the big advantage of the exhaust gas analyzer is the blue juice reacts only to CO2. If you don't believe me, just breathe on it while you're squeezing the bulb. It'll turn from blue to green to yellow. Exhaust gas analyzer, of course, four or five gas will pick up on hydrocarbons, CO2 and CO, which are both byproducts of combustion. One complete, one incomplete. Uh, This thing passed with flying colors, but it was legitimately running hot. Could not get rid of the heat. Flashlights out. I'm expecting more cottonwood fluff uh, or road grime. And turned out that if he'd have made it, or here, or the, whoever owned the vehicle, if they would have made it this summer, they would have been complaining about a lack of cooling. The condenser fins were breaking away and were blown into the radiator. <laughs> sucked into or blown into, depending on which, you know, when it happened, I suppose, if the cooling fan was on and sucked it in and uh, or flying down the highway, but it was impressive. It was impressive. There's hardly anything left of this condenser except for the tubes, if you will. All the fins were embedded into the radiator. (laughs) Oh, man. It was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, so it got a radiator and a condenser, and now it doesn't overheat.
0: And all that from just looking at it with a flashlight.
1: Yeah, and you know, it it overheated an idle, obviously, yep. but it overheated going down the highway, which, not saying it's impossible for it to be a water pump, but it starts falling down my uh, list of possibilities. Like, it's, of course, anything, I don't know, maybe not anything, but. It's a possibility, but I would rather get burned by that than something that makes more sense where
0: the, the the radiator's clogged up. It can't move air. In my experience with water pumps too, when they go bad, is typically like if the impeller is gone or it's broke off and the shaft is just spinning, they overheat or like overpressurize in like almost it seems like seconds to minutes. Like you start it and you're two minutes in and all of a sudden everything is boiling and i got like the crap burned out of me on one that uh that it was a dodge durango an old dodge durango and i literally like started it walked to my car to get something and then walked back and opened to the radiator because i had just started it and it blew the cap off and like broke the neck of the radiator and burnt me and it hadn't ran and i'm like what is going on that was the first time i'd ever saw it and then i realized that it was not moving any coolant and it must have that vintage of durango must have had a wicked hot spot somewhere in the engine that if coolant didn't move but it was like instant never everyone i've seen since then it's like a kind of an instant overheat problem it's not really an overheated idle it literally does it in like two minutes yeah real quick my my last visual inspection with a flashlight. This is the one uh, I probably see the most is the F-150s that have the fuse box that's right at the very front. You lift the hood up and it's right there, right where you need to lean over. Uh, I see those constantly, most of the time for a fuel pump complaint or a, uh, what do I want to say, dying while driving and then sometimes they'll restart, sometimes they won't uh, or extended crank, things like that. And it's the fuel pump fuse that's in that melts. But I've had a couple I was trying to find uh, before Matt and I started this and I have not taken any pictures of them. But I also had one uh, in my invoicing system for a PCM power fuse that same year in the same fuse box doing the exact same thing. And the fuses just melt. They don't blow. But we all have been taught to check fuses with a test light and just go across each one and Every single time that it happens, the shop has tested the fuse for the fuel pump. And most of the time, when it is the fuel pump fuse that melts, they've already put a fuel pump in it. And then I get there and I grab my flashlight. And I'm very famous for I check fuses with a flashlight. I, <laughs> Right or wrong, I very rarely check a fuse with a test light anymore. I used to, but I also found that sometimes that fuse is not in there all the way and you stab it with your test light on the top of it and you push it in. And now all of a sudden you don't, you fixed whatever concern you had. So I like to take my flashlight and this one in particular, I guess kind of just a random thing. So we have bright and then we have a dim setting In the dim setting of it. You can see through the fuses really easy. The bright setting kind of like shines back at you, but on the dim setting, I literally can just like go down the row of fuses and kind of look down inside them. And I can see, A, is it blown and B, is it discolored? And like most of the ones, especially with those Fords, that's literally, I just go down the row and I always get to that one. I'm like, huh, that fuse is discolored. As soon as you shine the light over, you see it and and you just pluck it out of there and look at it in your hand. You're like, yeah, that's completely melted, not blown. (laughs) And then the shops are always like, I checked it. And I'm like, I not saying you didn't I know that you checked it because if I can check it too with a test light it's going to test fine because it's got power on each side so yeah looking at stuff like that I mean it's just there's so many things that we could talk about that a, vis- a good visual inspection with a flashlight is going to get you to where you need to go without sending you down a rabbit hole
1: yeah I was thinking you were going um, with like body control type modules interior where there's Either the windshield was never bonded properly, uh, or lost its bonding, so there's leaking, yep. uh, or sun moonroof sunroofs leaks, um, stuff like that. Where maybe you're not seeing wet, but you can see signs of wetness, yep. and not saying like immediately that's the call, but it helps with that direction. And now I'm I this module is right in that path. This wiring is right in that path. Now I'm going to focus some attention here. I think it's worth spending some time tracking this down and, you know, pulling carpet up or dropping modules down and opening them up a little bit. And a lot of times you don't have to, right? Disconnect them and you can see signs of it. Although, you know what? I've had a couple of the um, side object detection modules on GMs. uh, GMs. The the metal ones, not the plastic ones. The plastic ones like swell up and crack and stuff, but the metal ones, they're to me the last few I've done. There's no external uh, indication of an yeah. issue, but you bust them open and you kind of bust them. Uh, then you see yeah. <laughs> they're, they're they're horrible inside, horribly. Yeah, corroded. it's like they corroded from the inside out. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what's happening. I think. Yeah, but I I just find that, okay, you know, we kind of laid in with the flashlight leading to the diagnosis and it would lead to the diagnosis, but it could really be leading you to what direction to take some steps. Uh, Because that's what a lot of times what we're doing when we're analyzing something is we're going to choose, you know, we have this resource of time that we're selling. How am I going to divide up this resource? What should I spend time on? And I think the big sales pitch here with the flashlight is it can really help you decide which direction to take and too often i think that part is kind of skipped we're relying far too heavily on codes and um like the code set criteria and and following the a flow chart type thing not telling you to get rid of any of that but maybe start moving that flashlight and visual inspection something that i think Strategy-based diagnostics isn't it pretty high on the list of strategy?
0: Like, verify the concern. Yeah, I uh, visual inspection. I personally always look at everything first. I'm all I'm always looking at. You know, is there something that's weird on the car? Where are the components located? Um, are the components attached? Are the harnesses that run to them attached? So yeah, definitely one of the first things in my strategy. Yeah, and and we could be really preaching to the choir here. We could have a lot of people listening,
1: going like, "Oh, duh," or you know, everybody knows that. Or how do you miss that? But yet they're they're coming into our bays. It can't. It cannot be just my shop. There's no freaking way it's just my shop. It's got to be nationwide, probably worldwide. For those of you that you know don't bust out the bust out that flashlight, but you know, invest in some flashlights. Uh, go to is it Automotive Insight Group on Facebook? Isn't that is yes. that uh, Mario's? Uh, and oh, uh, Super Mario Diagnostics on yep. YouTube. I think I have a lot of flashlights. I'm not even in it. <laughs> and i I think did I say Mario Huas? It's I think it's Ro- Ruiz.
0: Ruiz, okay. Let's just call him Mario. I, yeah. That's okay. Yeah, he's got a bunch of them. It's Super Mario, yeah, Super Mario.
1: Diagnosis. I carry
0: this one in my pocket, and I got two in my truck. That's what I run with each day.
1: Well, I really, really appreciate you coming on, sir. Of course, anytime. Well, we got part two and part three to
0: do. So, yeah, part, part two on boroscopes.
1: We'll start working on boroscopes, thermal imagers. Yeah, then, then we might as well do gas analyzers yeah, and, and
0: magnifying glasses. <laughs> I mean I mean that's the new thing of visual inspection everybody's looking at circuit boards and yeah that's a new part sold that's above my head but above my pay grade everything's above my head though so yeah I just heard Brian Culletta. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> he, he jumped on that one uh, perfect uh, thank you again sir thank you everyone for listening this is uh, diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z part of the aftermarket radio network and please feel free to reach out to me anytime on mattfonslopodcast at gmail.com or hit the facebook page and let me know what you think or any ideas you have or if you want to be a guest on the podcast thanks again for listening and we will talk to you next time see you everybody you've been listening to matt
0: fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket a to z on the aftermarket radio network Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect. Or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.